Hey, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you today. We are in the third week of our Advent theme on finding Christ in a Christmas carol. And what we've discovered so far is that even though the name of Jesus is never mentioned in Charles Dickens' short novel, The Christmas Carol, his fingerprints are sort of found all over it. And as we watch miserly old Scrooge grow through this process of spiritual transformation, we see him experience deep repentance as he's going to move from darkness to light. Today's scene in that process shows us Scrooge's encounter with the ghost of Christmas present. But before we get into that, let me read our primary scripture for today from Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 46. It's the song of Mary, the soon-to-be mother of Jesus, where she's glorifying God for this huge transformation that she's going through as she marvels at the enormity of God's generous love. So let me read Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, and then she returned home. Amen. Thanks be to God. That's his holy word. Well, when we left uh, Scrooge last week, he was trying to recover from his time with the ghost of Christmas past who took him on a very disturbing journey back through his childhood, his school days, uh, his, his young work apprenticeship days. And we saw how Scrooge grew up in this loveless home where his father rejected and shunned him. We got a glimpse of Scrooge's deep grief when his, <coughs> excuse me, when his sister died in childbirth. We saw how he lost his sweetheart, Belle, because he loved his money more than her. His past was bitter and lonely. His own poor decisions kept him from experiencing love when it was even offered to him. So we learned a little bit about why, why Scrooge became the, the adult that he was, hard-hearted and cold and alone. Because he was stuck in the past. He was never able to move on beyond who he was to become who he could be. And after the ghost of Christmas past leaves, Scrooge is visited by the next spiritual guide, the ghost of Christmas present. The clock strikes one, Scrooge falls out of bed, realizes it's time for the next ghost to appear, but nothing happens in his bedroom. And then Scrooge sees this brilliant light under the door and is drawn to the brightness in another room. When he enters the other room, it is blazing with signs of life, lights and color and laughter, filling the room as this giant, a jolly giant with long, dark brown curly hair and a huge smile on his face. If you're a Harry Potter fan, think Hagrid because I think the ghost of Christmas present was probably the inspiration for that gentle giant. The ghost of Christmas present, he's wearing this fur-lined green robe. On his head is a holly wreath set with shining icicles. The jovial giant is carrying this huge uh, torch that resembles a cornucopia of abundance. And all around the room, there's just this tremendous scrumptious feast, a roaring fire, and laughter. Belly laughs like Santa's just best ho-ho-ho echoed from this giant. Laughter is the last thing Scrooge had in mind. He's terrified 
by the sound of laughter. And remember that for next week because laughter becomes a key ingredient in his turning point. Into that festive room, the Spirit says, come in, come in and know me better. So the ghost of Christmas present is all about what is good and what is wonderful, what is loving and what is fun. And he is the image of God's generous love. The ghost of Christmas present then takes Scrooge on this whirlwind tour of London to see all the people and the experiences of the day because it's Christmas morning. All the markets are crowded with people as they're buying everything that they're going to need for their Christmas celebrations. There are families gathering and big dinners and decorations both on the street and in homes. Uh, people are on their way to church to worship the Christ child. And Scrooge sees all that, but he also sees the underbelly of London. He sees the deprivation and the poverty. He sees illness. He sees grief. He sees suffering. And as the ghost of Christmas present and Scrooge walk among the crowds, the compassionate spirit begins to sprinkle incense upon the people and their homes and their meals as a form of blessing. And Scrooge watches and asks, why? Why do you offer more incense to some and less to others? And the spirit replies, he gives more blessing to some and less to others because it is the poor who need it most. And you hear in the Spirit's words the echo of Jesus who said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And then the high point of the story. Scrooge is taken to the home of Bob, Bob Cratchit, his employee who is you know, just completely intimidated by Scrooge's gruff manner and completely dependent on the meager salary that he receives. At the Cratchit's small home, Scrooge feels the warmth of the fire. He smells the goose on the table. And he also experiences the love that binds this Cratchit family together. It's then that Scrooge gets introduced to Bob Cratchit's son, Tim, who enters the house carried on his father's shoulders. Tiny Tim, as he's called, is frail and ill and walks with a crutch. And we're not really told what the nature of his illness is, only that it's something treatable if they only had the resources to get proper medical care. Commentators have suggested that Tiny Tim's symptoms might indicate that he had rickets, which is a severe vitamin D deficiency, causes delayed growth in bowed legs and weakness in the spine and pelvis and in the legs, something that was easily treatable in 1830s London, if you had the money. And in many ways, Tiny Tim serves to symbolize all those who live in poverty and who suffer because they simply don't have the resources available to those who are wealthy, like Scrooge. To his amazement, Scrooge sees that even though they're poor, the Cratchits are just loving and close and just full of joy. And seeing that loving circle, Scrooge is finally moved to pity. He asks the gross of Christmas present if ailing Tiny Tim will be spared. And the Spirit says, I see a vacant seat in the door chimney corner and a crutch without an order without an owner, carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die. Scrooge trembles at that thought, pausing only to hear his own words spoken back to him by the Spirit. If he be likely to die, he had better do it and decrease the surplus population. You can see and feel cracks starting to open in the heart of Scrooge. He's moved to pity, and maybe for the first time he's beginning to see the spirit of Christmas for what it truly is, generous love. From there, Scrooge is whisked away from the home to, his, to the home of his nephew, Fred, where he witnesses kind of the same joy, the same hope, the same love that he found at the Cratchits. And then he soars across country. 
sees lighthouse keepers and foreign sailors, Welsh coal miners, uh, prisoners locked in their cells, and they're all singing the same thing. They're all singing Silent Night to honor the coming of their Savior. And Dickens describes their journey this way. Much they saw and far they went and many homes they visited, but always with a happy end. The spirits stood beside the sick beds and they were cheerful. On foreign lands and they were close at home by struggling men and they were patient in their greater hope. By poverty and it was rich in almshouse, hospital and jail. In misery's every refuge where vain men and his little brief authority had not made fast the door and barred the spirit out, he left his blessing and taught Scrooge his precepts. And then in one of the most important pivot points in the story, Scrooge is now kind of amazed at how he had never seen this world around him. And the ghost of Christmas present kind of drops the hammer on him. He says, you've gone through life not noticing a lot. You've gone through life not noticing a lot. All this has been right outside your door right under your nose, all around you as you walk the streets every day, and yet you refuse to see it. Scrooge has gone through life with these blinders on because he didn't want to connect in any way with the reality that there are people right around him suffering deprivation and illness and sorrow. He didn't want to connect with their pain. And in the dramatic conclusion of their time together, Scrooge, he notices there's, there's something stirring under the robes of this generous giant. He describes it, as that a gnarled foot or even a claw? And at that, the spirit throws open his robe to reveal these two emaciated children. They're filthy and frightful. They're hideous. They're like feral creatures. They kneel down at the spirit's feet. They cling to his robe. Oh, man, look here. Look down here, exclaims the ghost. This boy is ignorance. This girl is want. Beware them both, but most of all, beware the boy. For on his brow I have seen written, which is doom, unless the writing is erased. Scrooge is shocked, and he's even frightened by the sight of these two pathetic children. Without thinking, he bursts out, have they no refuge or resource? Are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? The Spirit again turns Scrooge's words back on him. Ignorance and want, these two children were right before Scrooge's eyes all the time. Poverty and hunger, the lack of education, were right before his eyes. He didn't want to see them. What Charles Dickens was trying to communicate to his readers was that they too had gone through life not noticing. If they as a society continued to ignore ignorance, if they continued to do nothing about want, the ghost of Christmas present was warning them it would spell doom, not just for the children and the families, but for their cities and for their society and for them as a nation. They needed to open their eyes and to love their world through the eyes of Christ, through his compassion, to do something about it for the poor and the lost and the homeless. So go back with me now to the words of Mary's song in Luke 1. Listen again to what she sang. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of his humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has, lifted, he has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Mary's praising God. 
magnifying God, making God's name great for a number of things. First, that God is even aware of her circumstances, her situation, that he is, he is mindful of her estate. God's eyes are wide open to her situation and to all of us as well. God is not like Scrooge who's kind of got his blinders on, not wanting to see anything uncomfortable. God sees. God sees your circumstances, and he sees you. God's aware of what's going on. He does not distract it as we often are. He's not overwhelmed like I am daily. God is not preoccupied with other things. He is mindful of whatever state you are in, whatever situation you face. And Mary goes on to say that God is a holy and mighty God, which means he's then able to do something about those circumstances. If God could only sympathize with our humble estate, if that's all God could really do, then really what good would it be? God would be caring but impotent, unable to act, and that's not what Mary said. God acts in love. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. God is at work doing mighty things in Mary's life. Now, granted, her mighty things, they are really great things. They are unique to her. I mean, the Holy Spirit was about to impregnate her with a fertilized egg and sperm that would grow inside her womb to become her precious son who would then become the Messiah who would set people free from sin and death. God was giving her a very privileged place in his plan of salvation. So that's some big-time action on God's part. But the principle is the same, too, for all of us. God is at work in and through your circumstances to bring glory to himself and to draw you closer into Jesus' presence. Romans 8.28, many of you would know this by heart. We know that in all things God is at work for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. This holy and good God is already at work in your circumstances. We may not understand what he's doing. We may not like what he's doing. But there is no doubt about it that God is already at work in your circumstances to bring glory to himself and to draw you closer to Jesus Christ. And there's one more thing Mary is thankful for. His mercy extends to those who fear him. God's mercy. God is a generous God who gives mercy to anyone who will receive it. The Apostle John writes, God is love in 1 John 4, 16. He goes on to say, we love because he first loved us. There are a lot of descriptions, a lot of descriptive words John could have used to describe God, all-knowing, all-powerful, eternal, awesome. But the one word he chose about God's very essence was love. Before you were born, God loved you. Before you could say your own name, he called you by name. Before you could reach your arms up to your parents, he was already reaching down to you. Before you even thought one thought about God or about ever trying to please Him, He already loved you completely. And since you didn't make God start loving you, you also can't stop Him from continuing to love you. God is generous with His love. Christian counselor Les Parrott puts it this way, Consider the sun as an analogy. The sun only shines just as God only loves. It is the nature of the sun to shine to offer warmth and light and it is the nature of God to love. We are free to get away from the sun. We can lock ourselves in a dark room, but we do not keep the sun from shining just because we put ourselves in a place where it cannot reach us. And even in that dark room, the heat of the sun still warms us. So it is with God's love. We can reject it, but God keeps on loving us. No matter our choices, God still loves us. You can't earn God's love, and guess what? You don't have to. 
You can't avoid it, but you, I mean, you can't avoid it, but you can't make stop, God stop loving you. You see, that's what Scrooge did not understand. He thought love had to be earned. Just like the money that he had earned and hoarded, he thought love had to be earned. And he's not the only one. I would guess most people on this planet think that love has to be earned, especially the love of God. Obey the rules, perform the rituals, fulfill the requirements, and maybe then God will love you. That's actually what the majority of the world's religions teach. Most religions are human attempts to somehow get God to love us. Be good, be good enough, and then God will love you more than the people who are bad. Now this is where Jesus is different from every other religion and philosophy. Jesus starts with teaching that there is no way that you can make God love you. There are not enough rules to follow, not enough rituals to perform. There are no requirements big enough to fulfill that can then make God love you. Because he already does. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas is that God's love became a person. God's love became personal. So what do we do with this message about Mary and a holy and mighty God who knows our needs and circumstances, who knows us inside out, who knows our uh, who acts within our circumstances for our good and in the love through Jesus Christ so that we might be free and forgiven. What are we supposed to do with that? Well, Jesus actually told us in John or Matthew 10, 8. He says, freely you have received, freely give. The message paraphrase says, you've been treated generously, so live generously. The Living Bible says, give as freely as you have received. Simple. It's just live the way Jesus lived. Live the way Jesus lived motivated by this generous love, being mindful of the humble state, the real circumstances that surround the lives of others. Be mindful of that because one of our biggest challenges today in being faithful with Christ is that we're just constantly distracted. We're a distracted culture. Our, te- our attention's taken in a hundred different directions every day. And consequently, we work pretty hard to insulate ourselves from some of the harsher realities of life around us. I mean, people here in the New York metro area, we all tend to construct this little bubble that we live in, a bubble of self-protection. And we take that bubble with us wherever we go, sort of like our our own portable safe space. So when we commute, we don't talk to anybody. People send out the body language warning, you know, don't invade my space. I got my earphones in. Leave me alone. But what if we were to open our eyes and to see and be mindful of what actually exists around us? I want to ask you to maybe do something this week. Drive 20 or 25 minutes in any direction from this church. And then just notice what you see. 20 minutes in one arc from around this church, you'll pass $10 million homes, huge estates, private schools that charge $40,000 a year in tuition for sixth graders. I mean, that's almost as much as the average yearly income for most people in the United States. You'll pass public high schools that are some of the best in the country where kids are parking their BMWs where 99% of the students graduate, go off to college or to some other higher education. And which college they go to becomes a major ego boost for their parents. 20 minutes around us, you'll be in a world that is so safe, probably practically zero violent crime. But if you were to drive those same 20 minutes in another direction, you'll pass high schools where the graduation rate is 48%, where 67% of the students in the school district qualify for a free lunch where over 26% of the residents live below the poverty line, where gangs rule the streets and recruit children as young as 10 years old, where people are paralyzed by poverty and by government corruption, and 
where their personal safety is not something that they can take for granted on any given day. As you know, about five years ago, I realized that I'd often put blinders on and chosen to ignore the harder realities of things very close to us. It was easier for me just to focus on my own life, what was comfortable and safe, my own family, my community, my church. I mean, we are so blessed as a church, blessed beyond measure, while others just down the road are just not as fortunate. And that's when I felt God's call to begin to volunteer as a police chaplain in Plainfield. Because I needed to open my eyes and see and see what God might want me to do in places that I had chosen to ignore. I've always been challenged by the quote by Edward Hale. I am only one, but I am still one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. As a church, we have the same mandate to open our eyes and be involved with the harsher side of life. We can't fix every problem. We don't, we're not even supposed to try, but we have to go where God has called us to make a specific difference. That's why I'm proud of the fact that, you know, we have a regular ministry every week, a men's Bible study at the East Jersey State Prison. Regular weekly Bible study, also the opportunity for anyone in the church to go and join and worship with these men who are incarcerated, if you can pass the background check. That's something any of you can do. That's why I'm glad we care about the homeless through participating in the New York City Relief Bus. And as was mentioned earlier, Juan Galloway is going to be our speaker, who's their president on the 29th. That's why we care about orphans, even though they're far away in Bolivia. You know, we're the only means of financial support for the children who are part of our house with the Amistad mission. And that comes just through our regular giving. It's not a special offering. That's why we're involved with Young Lives, the ministry for teen moms that we're supporting through our Christmas offering this year. Not only does Young Lives lead these teen moms to Jesus, but it also helps them break this repeating cycle of poverty that so many young single moms fall into. And just as an aside, if you're a pro-life person, you have to be pro-Young Lives. You have to be, because all of these girls were in the vulnerable situation where they could have chosen to get an abortion. In fact, many of them faced tremendous family and social pressure to go ahead and get an abortion as a quick solution. But the teens in this ministry made the courageous decision to bring their babies to term, and for that they deserve your generous financial support, your spiritual and your emotional support. And if you're really pro-life, you ought to be a volunteer, either with the pregnancy center, like First Choice, or with Young Lives. You see, the ghost of Christmas present sought to open Scrooge's eyes to the realities of the world right around him. And maybe the gift we get this Christmas is really asking maybe more difficult questions like, why are there so many children who are served by organizations like Salvation Army? Maybe our gift is in offering a blessing of joy and abundance to others before we fill up our stockings. Maybe the gift we offer this year is the courage to actually enter into the pain that other people are actually experiencing and to stick with them long enough to actually share the compassion of Christ. Maybe the gift this Christmas, is that we lean into Jesus' words, freely you have received, now freely give. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you that you are a generous God, so generous that you reached out to me with your abundant saving love and that you've reached out to so many here in the same way, Lord, and we have been so blessed by you. And we would just ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes and help us to see be aware of what's around us, but also then to have hearts of compassion so that we could understand the way that you want us to be 
engage with this world, not out of guilt, not out of guilt, but out of compassion that we're seeing people through the eyes of Christ. We ask that in your name. Amen.